All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Misfit Nation, the underscore Misfit Nation. So you'll stay up to date on all of our episodes as they're released, while also getting to hear the stories of our amazing guests. Our next guest is a Talladega, Alabama, Alabama native. She received her BA in anthropology from UC Berkeley. After threatening to write a book for 20 plus years, she finally did so with Rise of the Ravenisha being her, her maiden novel. Her second book, Rove Ravenisha, is complete, and there are plans for a third installment, tentatively titled Revenge of the Ravenisha. So without further ado, let's welcome author Pamela Lawson to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you, Rich. Thank you so much for inviting me here. I'm honored. Thanks for accepting the invite. And uh, I've seen Talladega, Alabama. And I, I got to work the race there five years, uh, five races in a row when I was stationed there. It was the first time I went to a NASCAR race, and I kind of fell in love with Alabama at the same time. Yep, grew up going to the Talladega 500. <laughs> it's probably that's the biggest thing in town that week, so you have nothing else to do, really. Yes, that's true. That's true. In addition to, you know, your high school sports. Right. <laughs> yep. And most of my thing, when I was working there, a lot of the high schoolers would come there and, and help out, like, either concessions or stuff there as well. Yes, I was in the band, and so we would march around the track playing wow that's a good long walk <laughs> that's a fun uh, memory for you there that's good so Pamela if you'd like to please tell us a little bit about yourself from as far back as you want to go to where you finally turned on the plug to to write the book okay it's been a whew, it's been a long journey I was always one of those little weird kids my mother loved horror films and so she would sit up at night, she had let out the bed uh, couch and I would sit with her and we'd watch scary movies, just movie after movie after movie until the TV went staticky and they played the, the national anthem. <laughs> so uh, that's not to say I was not afraid. I was. I would be scared to death and it didn't help growing up with stories where we would have nightmares and a relative would say, oh, that's just witches riding your back. <laughs> but anyways, I grew up embracing all of that. I've always been a reader. That's one of the things I'm so thankful that my mother instilled in me before she died was the love of reading. And so I, um, I don't know, I was just weird, Rich. I, you know, after our parents died, uh, my sisters and I, uh, my father's sister took us in and we would walk up and down the road every day between the two houses. And there, you know, there would be roadkill along the way. And I would go, it would be stinking something bad, but I would go just every day to look to see, you know, how it had progressed, what it changed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whereas my <laughs> sisters avoided it as much as they could. <laughs> so, you know, I never thought about being a writer, even throughout high school, uh, when I got to college, wasn't thinking about it. It was only until my last year, I took this class that it was medical anthropology. And the, the teachers were just so chirpy. I think they were grad students. <laughs> so they gave us this assignment uh, about how we envision a world after uh, HIV AIDS. And I thought, oh, no doubt. 
everybody's going to write how a cure has been found and <laughs> everything is just turned out so rosy in the end. And I thought, oh no, I'm not doing that. I'm writing about these scientists who experiment on the homeless and they inject them with these chemicals and they become mutants. I got an A on the paper along with a note that I should think about being a writer and turn that into a novel or a screenplay. I did nothing. So I finished school. I worked a variety of jobs, including x-ray technician, ultrasound technician. And it just dawned on me that I'm an introvert and I don't like working with people. <laughs> so during that time, I started also taking writing lessons and I would tell my teacher, you know, one day I'm going to write a book about this black dressage writer who's also a detective and I just did nothing. So about in 2019, my family had a family reunion in the Poconos. I had this awful fall. I've never experienced such pain in my life. So as I was writhing in the bed to distract myself from the pain, I thought, oh, what if there's these warrior women and what if they shapeshift into werepanthers who eat humans? <laughs> and that was the genesis. When I got back to uh, California, I was a woman possessed. I got up every day at 7.30. I wrote all day and I finished this sucker in like three months. Wow. <laughs> it was a hot mess, hot mess. <laughs> I just don't, it had to go through, oh, countless um, revisions, but I did it. And I, I don't know. I, I think that, again, this is me. I am kind of a spunky person. Um, and, oh, and I love your themes of resilience and courage because I feel all of those things embody me and, and the characters that I wrote about. So maybe I was spunky, maybe I was a fool and just didn't know any better, but I actually started sending that story out. <laughs> and I would get replies from agents, interesting concept, it needs to be polished. So I went back, I did more revisions and I got more responses. Some agents even asked to see the manuscript. And in the end, I just decided that, you know, I'm going to self-publish this puppy because I don't want it sitting around in some publisher's office for a year while they decide, oh, when the time is right for it to be published, I realized it's not perfect. It still could use more revisions, but I'm just going to get it out there. And that's what I did. That's outstanding. I like that. They're plugging away every day for three months to get it out. A lot of people take years to get one novel out. Once they start it, besides your you're turning on and off of wanting to be a writer for so long, that three months period, that's awesome to even get it's the first prison done. Story. It just poured out of me. <laughs> so it, during those three months, did you start the other two or did we did just stay with the first baby first? I I start I stayed with the first one. I got it as polished as I could get it, I went through all of the assessments, the editorial assessment, developmental edit, the beta readers, and I just made revisions after revisions. But then I started writing the second one because I had the idea. And again, I sat down at the computer and the story just poured out of me. And this was while I was contacting agents, um, getting feedback from the first story. So that made it easier to write the second one. 
Yeah, I bet. And, and now that you have the whole the three series now, three three book series, it might you know, make that turn and wind up either on Netflix or the larger screens if we ever get to go to large screen movies again. Yes. Yes, that is the hope. In fact, one of the reviewers who reviewed it said, oh, this reads like a movie. You know, it should be made into a movie. So we'll see. That's the only thing about self-publishing is the marketing that you have to do. So I don't have, you know, the publisher houses behind me doing that marketing. Yeah, without that huge team of a publishing house behind you, it's a little, uh, I guess, an unfair fight. But if you uh, stick with it, I'm sure someone's going to catch on and say, hey, we'll take you on and we'll push you to the top. I am certainly going to do my part. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have the passion to do it and, uh, and sell it as you go and tell them uh, about your story and just the how you got it going in those three months and, and the why behind it. And also because your love of horror from growing up with mom watching TV all night until until the national anthem i laugh because i remember waking up and seeing that on the tv sometimes <laughs> i know i'm dating myself yeah i don't think it i don't think it happens anymore but because there's something on all the time now but back then they used to turn off programming yes yes <laughs> they wanted mm-hmm. you to do other things yep yeah, and you know there was i think that was around the time too that black panther had come out okay and i did some research on the amazon women but i thought eh you know, that's kind of already been done. You have the warriors in Black Panther. No, I'm going to make mine shake shift into where others <laughs> and eat people. <laughs> I mean, there's a huge market for that. So people love that that genre. And uh, I think it'll I think it'll take off. Thank you. I hope so. And I, I signed just uh, reading the cliffs of it. I've seen that one of your characters has a love of horses. Yes. Is it because you had a love of horses growing up or love yes. of animals? Is that why it's in there? It is. One of my earliest memories of my uh, grandfather, who was part Native American, was he would ride what I thought at the time was this big white horse named Sandy, but she was probably just a quarter horse, but she seemed huge to me. <laughs> and so I just was fascinated from then on. And my, uh, my maternal grandfather actually bought me a Shetland pony. But that little thing, people think Shetland ponies are so cute, but they're actually little mean creatures. And it would fuck me off every time I got on him. So my father sold him. His name was Mitch. And my father sold him to this family that had 10 or 11 kids. And I didn't do anything about writing until I was well into my 30s. And I started doing the hunter jumper thing. But to be honest, Rich, I have no business being on the back of a horse. My balance is horrible i don't know what it is i just i have bad i mean i fall just walking around just oh oh my goodness so i was falling when i was jumping so i switched to dressage and i was just hooked because horses oh boy they make you be brave (laughs) they make you have courage and there's the whole thing about the responsibility of taking care of another animal and getting along with an animal, becoming in tune with the animal and working together because with dressage, I don't know so much about other disciplines. You are not going to get on some of those horses and think you're going to tell them what to do. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) So anyways, I could go on and on and on. I don't want to do that, but yes, it's my passion and 
I really wanted to, to highlight it, a part of it in every story. It's not just a dressage all of the time. Uh, Rogue Venetia, I put in a hunter jumper lesson and later the girls go for a ride on the Tennessee walking horses which are gated horses. And the reason I do this is because I wish that more people of color, especially black people would discover the love. And I know that equestrianism is a, it's very expensive as a yes. sport, but you don't have to be a dressage rider. You don't have to do hunter jumper. I mean, riding out on trails, quarter horses, Tennessee walking horses, other gated horses, they're not, it's not expensive to keep them. And I just think that they provide, they teach us so much, these animals, and that so many children, especially, would benefit from having that relationship because a lot of mothers would tell me, oh, they know exactly where their daughters are. They're at the barn all day. They have to maintain grades to be able to keep riding. They're yeah. learning how to take care of another animal. They're learning how to work hard and figure things out and, and you have to keep in shape to be able to write. So that's why part of the reason why I love it so much and want to encourage other people to get involved. And there's also, I know I'm running, um, but there's also just one more thing is that the conservation of land is important to me. Yes. So many barns are being bought out by these big corporations and they put up yet another housing development. I mean, oh, yes. that just burns my butt. I mean, you could, I'm a country girl. I like land. I don't, versus I live uh, currently in Elk Grove, California. And that was one of the things I love. You see the vaqueros riding up the, on the side of the road on their horses. Yeah. I mean, they would be crazy to do that now because they get run over. Oh, yeah. And I can see all of the land where these people had farms, where they had cattle and horses and those yamath uh, things. I mean, they were just goats and they're just all selling their land now. And it worries me that we're just gonna keep selling land. And that's one thing you can't make more of is land. Yeah, all the dirt that was here is here now. You, you can't change it now. So there's not gonna be more dirt made for us. So right, and if you keep just building houses and building <laughs> communities, especially in areas where, you know, the resources are scarce, it's just, it, to me, it's a sad, sad world, which is why I'm considering moving back to the South. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's blowing up here too. I'm, I'm in Tennessee and the same thing's happening here as the elder farmer oh. passes away, their kids don't want to do the farming anymore. And they take that first bid and whoever gives them that highest bid, they're selling out. And it will, just like you said, all you see is rooftops come in and the county commissioners, city councilmen, all they see is the tax dollars and they don't realize that we don't have the infrastructure to keep up with all these houses coming in. Schools aren't the schools are crowded before they're even built. So mm -hmm. it's impossible to stay up with it. Oh, thank you for busting my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's everyone's moving from like California, New York, Michigan to down here because they want to get away from whatever is causing them heartache and pain there right now, taxes or whatever. And it's just causing this big boom down here. I'm sure Alabama still has some good places. I haven't been, I, last time I was, I was in Jacksonville right after the storm hit there. So dad, there's some land there still at least. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay. I, I blew your bubble up a little more there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I talked to someone the other day about horses and I love horses. 
but every time I go get on when I wind up either falling off or sliding off somehow, I just have a, they, I love them. They love me until I fall off and then they walk away from me and I just give them apples and stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to keep at it. Yeah. Once you get the right one, a lot of people ride horses that are not appropriate for them. I know I have been guilty of that. <laughs> I need a steady Eddie, what they call a, a husband horse one that's going to take care of me when I'm riding. And yeah, falling off is not fun though, especially as you get older. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find yourself since uh, you when the first book was published, uh, being a, an older person of color, do younger writers, uh, younger girls who are either Black, Hispanic, or just Indigenous or people of color, do they reach out to you to ask or ideas and stuff now that you have been published but they probably see you as a mentor now they have not okay. i am hoping that as i um branch out more into the world they they will i would i would love to mentor them i think that'd be great for not just them but also for you as well because you showed your resilience to get to the point where you finished this book and the next two books and and this was after trying other careers out along the way. And this can show them that you might have to try something to get to where you want to be, or you can just run full head on into writing. Exactly. And I think you can be that light for them. A lot of young kids now they just need that light, that mentorship to help them get over that hump. And, you know, we, when we were little, we were taught you have to go to school, you have to do X, Y, Z. And sometimes X, Y, Z wasn't really what we wanted to do. And right. You found that out. I, I went to college, stopped, and then went in the military for uh, half my life. And then now I started my real jobs now. So I had to learn along the way what I really wanted to be when I grew up. And yeah. I, I learned that mentorship is one of the biggest things. And I think you'd be great at it. Oh, thank you. Of course, you know, people mentored me exactly. when I was growing up. And I would like to pay it for it. So I'm hoping that will be the case. And, you know, everybody, oh, gosh. My mother would roll in a grave, but not everybody has to go to college, I've learned. Right. You know, there are careers out there, say, and we need electricians and plumbers and construction workers. So I understand the push for everybody to go to college, but I it's not necessary. I, I agree. I believe we... You have to figure out what you want to do. College is, is, it'll still be there if you go and try a trade and maybe, you know, it's not really what you want to do. You're not really adept to work with electricity and maybe you burn your hand a couple of times and say, oh, maybe I should go back and try something different. But at least you tried and I said, oh, I did try that and I just wasn't good at it. Maybe I should try being an auto mechanic and try that until I cut my hand open a few times. And then, all right, I finally found what I can do. I can build air conditioners and there I am. Yes. Instead of getting in debt with coming I mean, college, it's a business. I mean, you get educated, but in the end game, it's all a business and they have to, they're there to make money and you're a client. That's true. So when you wrote the first book, did you, you did those three months, were you already feeling that you wanted to make the second two because you made that first one into a cliffhanger? Yes, I already knew. And you know, I think I had so much uh, to tell that I knew that I was going to write a series. And so the 
second book also sort of ends in a cliffhanger because I'm I have my ideas for uh, Revenge of the Ray Venetia. <laughs> it's outstanding. I, I love the names too. I just make sure I didn't trip up on them when I was saying them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a story to the name. My niece used to love that so Raven. Oh, okay, there it is. <laughs> and she told us one day that, oh, if she has a daughter, she's going to name her Ray Venetia. And of course, her mother and I said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the name stuck with me. I don't know. That's why I feel in a way that all of this is kind of ordained because I sat down and I wanted a name for my warriors because the real name for the uh, Amazons, like the Mino, and I think the Ahosi. And I couldn't use that. So, Ray Benisa just popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. And what did she say when you named that? Oh, Lord. Well, first, she's mad. <laughs> I kind of sort of forgot to, you know, give her credit for the Ray Benisa name. <laughs> well, now you have. It's good. <laughs> so I tried to put it in the um, Kindle version. It's, I did thank her in that. Uh, and she still cannot name her child Ravenisha either. Well, now it's <laughs> so copyrighted. You tell everybody, he's the inspiration for the name. <laughs> That's outstanding. That's so Raven becomes Ravenisha. Exactly. <laughs> so we know where you got the idea for the name, and your love of horror probably gave you the shape shifting ideas. Do you feel like you would write a different type of series once you put this one to rest? I have thought about that as well. I, I'm playing around. I've already started just kind of outlining um, either a mystery or I might just, just go on over to that dark side and embrace my love of full horror. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves a good horror movie and they can't yeah. keep remaking the old ones. You got to give us right. something to and watch. You know what? Stephen King can't write all of the doggone horror books. Exactly. <laughs> He should not have a monopoly on them. Exactly. <laughs> Ask me room for Pamela Lawson to get in there and write hers and stand up next to him. Say, look, I'm right. here too now. That's right. And then shake his hand and thank him for all the movies he showed you. That's true because I've read all of his books. <laughs> he'll enjoy that. I heard he's pretty humble when people do that for him. So he's he's probably gonna he'll probably say, I would have wrote it this way, but you did great. <laughs> and I'll probably take some of these ideas into my next book. <laughs> oh, and that's also flattery to you as well. Yes, it is. So if you could, if you were able to talk to your young self when you were about to graduate from UC uh, Berkeley there, what would you tell yourself then? Should you follow your dream to be a writer or go right into the workplace? <laughs> I know what I should say, but you know, I didn't have a dream to be a writer then. And honestly, to be a good writer, I feel that you have to have life experience. So if I had been a writer, right, if I had started writing right out of UC Berkeley, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have written the story that I wrote. You know, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. 
So no, I would not have been a writer right out of college. And uh, if, if you do get the chance, and hopefully you do, get to sit in front of, a, say, a panel of uh, probably 20, 20-something-year-old 20 uh, women, and they're asking these same questions, and they say, Pamela, I want to be a writer. What should I do? What should my process be? I would tell them to live their lives. If they, there's nothing wrong with writing. In fact, if you are interested in writing, you should write a little bit every day. I think though, and some people, young, some young people come here and they have wisdom and they're able to write these really deep stories that make you feel and think. But I still maintain that some of the best authors to me that I read, they're old, they are old people. And it's not to say that you cannot write a story when you're young. For instance, I think young writers these days are really the best ones to write about how millennials are thinking and, and what's going on. If you're gonna write a story like that, then I think they would do great. But in terms of writing generational epics and really delving into people's lives and their in this things that they have experienced, I think you have to live a little in order to be able to do that. I think it definitely will help as you as you are able to create a story because you've actually lived something and you can use some of your actual experiences to develop a character and make him into your own, him, him or her into your own character as you push them through their paces and grow that character and character development throughout the whole book or story. Right, right. Because, you know, there's a part in Rise of the Ravenesia where Teddy doesn't know what she's here to do. And she tried being an Atlanta police officer, but that didn't work. So she has this feeling of, not I'm so stupid, but why haven't I found my passion yet? Why haven't I settled into a career? Why can't I just work a job for 20, 30 years? And people say, oh, I'm supposed to be this leader of the Ravenesia, but I can't even take care of myself now. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I kind of I was thinking about <laughs> for a moment because it's, it just resonated um, with me because in a way, in case you hadn't guessed, Teddy is a little bit of me, a little bit of my niece. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's, kind of, you know, it's my experience with all of these jobs and I didn't like them and and the questioning of why I why couldn't I just work my job for 25 years, 30 years until I retired? Right. And instead, it's, you know, I'm just one of those people, no, I'm not happy here. I'm not <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> I'm gonna rise up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Pamela, how does someone get in contact with you if they want to either just have a chat with you like we're having now or to find out more about you? I have a website. It's pgracelawson.com. 
I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, they can reach me at my email, the P. Grace Lawson at gmail.com. And I would be happy to talk to anyone. Awesome. Uh, hopefully some of the audience reaches out and gives you some work to do with, with thinking and mentoring. And I really appreciate you taking some of your time to be on here with us on the Misfit Nation. And uh, I look forward to the, the next two, two in this series and then your next series that comes out after. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great talking to you. You're welcome. All right. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry, of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are... Fit, 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 fit Nation.